Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. Now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so kindly for hanging out with me here today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I've been sitting on this episode today's episode for a little while and I've been dying to get it out to you because I'm talking to my friend Tom Tursich who is walking around the world and we actually had him on the podcast when he was a little while into his journey almost three years ago and if you search into the archives it's called The World Walk. Today we're going to catch up with him almost three years later and I love hearing what's going on on the ground for him in these countries. I mean, think about this. Really put yourself there. He is walking through all of these different countries, and it's just incredible feat. No pun intended. Sorry. There was a pun intended there. I had to do it. But it really is. And hearing some of his adventures that have happened along the way, he's had a health scare that was pretty intense you're going to hear about in this interview and just some of the unexpected things that happen on a journey like this it's just packed with the kind of travel stories you would expect from somebody who is walking around the world you're gonna love it before we get into the interview i want to say a quick thanks to tortuga backpacks for supporting today's show if you go to zero to travel.com slash tortuga you're gonna find the best travel backpacks out there and i also have a promo code for you if you enter the promo code travel when you check out just the word travel you're going to get 10 percent off anything you order from tortuga so if you're in the market for a new backpack duffel bag stuff sacks whatever they have you covered please check out this link you're going to love their stuff you don't have to waste your time searching on the internet for the best travel backpacks out there because they've got them zero to travel.com slash tortuga Promo code TRAVEL when you check out for 10% off. Whether you want to travel for three weeks, three months, or three years, these are the backpacks for you. Check them out. Thank you so much to them for supporting the show. If you decide to go through the links that I mentioned, you'll be supporting the podcast as well because I am an affiliate for Tortuga. They've been a longtime sponsor. Absolutely love their stuff and wholeheartedly recommend it. So check them out if you're looking for a backpack, please. Now, 
Get ready to listen in on this incredible conversation with a man who's walking around the world, my friend Tom. And on the other side of this interview, I'll share some thoughts around our chat. So stick around for that. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Tom. I am just going to hit record because I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good. What's Good. going on? Uh, nothing, man. I'm, I'm in Croatia. I'm with some cousins here. Um, and just kind of soaking in the heritage right now. Soaking in the heritage. You have a Croatian background. Yeah. How, yeah. how deep does that run? Like how much Croatian are you? Uh, I guess I'm one quarter Croatian. Okay. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I'm. I can go see my great grandfather's house here and meet up with cousins and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's an awesome. It's it's super cool to come to this little island in Croatia, Kirk, and go to this town that says my last name on it. It's just wild. No way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you met these people before? Are these like some distant cousins, or are they cousins that you've met before? No, distant. Yeah. Um, I've had cousins. I've had other cousins who have met them, but I've never met them personally. So, uh, yeah, first time connecting with them. It's, it's very cool. Wow. All right. So I'm here uh, talking. I, didn't, I haven't done an intro or anything here, but I'm here talking with uh, Tom Turich. I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, right? Tursich. Tursich is what I meant yeah. to say. No Tursich. <laughs> I had practiced that before. And I, I forgot. Uh, and if you check him out at the World Walk dot com is his website and he is doing exactly what his website says he's walking around the world and dude i looked back and we we published an episode with you when you left new jersey and you walked of course because that's what you're doing to ecuador you were in ecuador at the time we recorded and that was three years ago almost three years ago here you are three years later and you're in croatia and you're Still walking around the world, so congratulations, man! <laughs> Thank you. Man. It's been, uh, been a long journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, all right. So, of course, I have a million questions, but uh, the first one I'm going to ask is, "How's your How's Savannah doing? Your dog? Oh, she's good, man. She's she's in perfect health. She's she's a beast. Uh, relaxing right now at my cousin's house. So she's just, you know, she just wants to walk all day. So I'm walking her as much as I can. But yeah, she's in great health. She's happy. How fit are you right now? I'm I'm feeling good, man. We do 24 miles a day pretty easily and wake up each day, do it again. Um, No problem. So I'm feeling good, man. Uh, Just moving along and uh, it's easy walking here in Europe. So feeling good. You've been doing this for how long now? Uh, so actually on the road, it's been uh, like 1,151 days. Okay. Wow. Have you gone home at all or anything and then like just gone back and picked up where you left off or have you just been walking the entire time? Yeah, actually after I finished South America, I went home to get Savannah's paperwork to enter Europe and I started getting kind of stomach cramps when I was back in the States. I ended up getting really sick. I started walking Ireland. I walked Ireland into Scotland and I got really sick. So actually I stopped walking for almost a year. Um, and I lost about 45 pounds and, uh, I spent a month in, uh, the Royal hospital of London getting tests for parasites, all this stuff. They couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, eventually I flew back home, 
they were just throwing different antibiotics at it until something started working and uh, I recovered and then I was working uh, working out, going to the gym, building my endurance back. And then after, yeah, almost a year off uh, because of this illness, um, then I flew into Copenhagen and started walking Europe, Europe again. Did you have any doubts about starting up again or did you always know you were going to start up again after you solved this out? Yeah, no, never doubt. Um, no, never doubt. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was not a great time. It was, I was in a lot of pain all the time, but I was just always thinking about was once I get healthy again, get back out there. I'm really sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. I thought I read something somewhere about you being sick, but I had no idea that it was such a long and intense thing. I mean, 45 pounds, you're, you're like a very fit guy. I can't imagine you 45 pounds less. I mean, is there 45 pounds to take off of you even? It's, I know you're tall, but yeah, no, I was, I was like skinning, it was probably another two months and that would have been end game. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, did, what was it? Uh, they didn't figure out what it was. Um, the doctors just thought maybe I drank some water. I shook someone's hand. It was just some virulent bacteria, just some freak thing. Um, just a weird thing that I caught that kind of sat in me and, and grew and grew. So as you went back to the States, you were getting stomach cramps. Then you went to continue your walk in Europe and then it hit you there and then you were stuck in London basically. Yeah. So yeah, when I got back stateside, um, I was just getting little stomach aches and I just thought maybe I was eating something uh, strange or maybe it was being back with different bacteria in the water or something like that. And so it was just like little stomach aches. And then by the time I got to Ireland, the pain I was getting, like oh, they were kind of like spasms in the stomach. Uh, they were so bad. I was on the ground writhing in pain for you know, a full minute at a time. Couldn't see, just kind of black out for like a minute in pain. And it just got worse and worse. And then basically my body started attacking itself. So it wiped out all the good bacteria in my intestines. So I developed colitis and was bleeding internally. And I couldn't hold anything down and wasn't uh, everything I was eating, I wasn't getting any nutrition from because it wasn't absorbing uh, in the intestines. And it was not a good time. It was just a lot of pain. I, you know, when I was going through it, I wasn't depressed or really down even um, because I had walked. I had started what I had been thinking about since I was 17. I had walked from Philadelphia all the way down to Uruguay over two years, and I had lived how I wanted to live. So if that had been the end, I, I would have been fine with that. I would have been content because gave it a shot. Wow, man. I mean, that's crazy that you were going through that much pain and you were still having that kind of positive outlook. I mean, when you say you were on the grounds and blind and in pain, that's, that's serious pain, dude. I mean, when you were going through this for a year, were you in that kind of pain for a year? Was that coming and going like that? Or that wasn't even the worst of it. Um, but from, from there on, it was probably about four or five months of, of going through the, having those spasms. And, uh, and then there's like two months where I had the colitis and just like everything I ate was just it was just pain all day and I was sleeping two hours a night and it was just, yeah, there was like two months where it was just like, just nightmarish. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, just from the exhaustion and the pain, I mean, you could easily go the other way by that. I mean, yeah. the dearly yeah, departed, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it would be that far off when you're in that kind of situation. I mean, also, you know, when you look back on something like this and we're talking about it, okay, well, it's one thing was like, all right, well then, you know, it was like this for two months and then like, yeah, you're chunking out time. But like at the time you, 
you didn't know what this was or if it would ever go away, right? I mean, that's mentally taxing, dude. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, there's no clear end in sight. And we're going to doctors and they just couldn't, you know, I spent a month back and forth at the Royal London Hospital and getting every test under the sun in infections, in infectious disease. And they couldn't figure out what it was. Even going back to the States, they never figured out what it was. So they just, just like I said, started throwing antibiotics at it until one of them started working. And uh, and then it got a little bit better. And, and that kind of, and then in the corner, then once the bacteria was gone, then they could start fighting the colitis and everything else. Uh, so it was a long process. And I never got too dark. It was just exhaustion, really, from the pain and just like, just get through it. And, you know. I was the weird thing about it. I was back home. This the blessing in the skies. I was back home when uh, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. So that was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Nice man. Well, I hope like the two hours you slept that day wasn't during the game because that was one awesome game, man. (laughs) Just uh, months of agony for uh, you know. For, for that reward. It was worth it. <laughs> In case you're wondering why I'm giggling so much, because we're both from the Philly area. So we waited a long time for that, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had any sign of any of that coming back or relapse no, or anything? No. Totally healthy. No. Yeah, totally healthy. The biggest thing was... You know, after walking South America, after we spoke uh, in Ecuador, and then I I went through the desert of Peru and Chile for, I was in the desert for about five months. All the the coast is all desert. So, Uh, and then crossing the Andes where it went up to about 5,000 meters and it was extremely difficult walking. And I was just in such peak physical and mental condition. I was so honed in. And then to go from like my absolute peak down to my absolute lowest physically and and probably mentally too, fitness, you're coming back to Europe was really just it was perfect timing because there's easy walking in Europe, there's bike paths, there's a lot of towns, it's developed. To go from such a low and back into Europe, I could really ease myself back into things physically and mentally. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a nice runway, I guess, to get the walk going again. So what do you yeah. have left now? You've walked from after you got through your illness and everything, which uh, we just heard that story. It's no small thing. But you flew back to London? Or? Uh, so I picked up in Copenhagen, so Denmark. Oh, yeah, uh, where you left off. Okay. Yeah, no, no, you're right, though. I, I stopped in uh, in Scotland, but it was such it was kind of difficult walking there because it was so cold and rainy. And I was like, I didn't want to go back into that not feeling 100 percent. So I started in um, Denmark where I knew there'd be nice, flat, easy walking into Germany uh, through Germany, Belgium, France, Spain, and then uh, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, up Italy, Slovenia, now in Croatia. And so from here, uh, we make our way basically along the coast uh, to Greece and then across Turkey, uh, into Georgia, Azerbaijan, across the Caspian Sea, uh, a couple months in Kazakhstan, across Mongolia, and then fly down to Australia, across Australia, fly to California, across California, back to New Jersey. Wow. So close, but not really. <laughs> no, I'm like halfway, long way to go. <laughs> uh, it sounds close when you just rattle off because you think, oh, yeah, just take a bus here, fly there. But no, you're walking. Yeah. You're walking. Hey, I, you have so much experience now on the ground. I mean, look, just looking ahead, we're going to talk about where you've been. But do you look ahead and think, oh, I'm nervous about that? Or are you just kind of literally taking it one step at a time, one day at a time? 
I'm through the worst of it. Central America was definitely the most dangerous part that I'll be walking through. Um, and the rest, the only thing that I think will be a pretty big challenge for me will be uh, going through Kazakhstan and Mongolia because it's about a six-month stretch there of walking. And since it's so far north, uh, I'll probably have to do it in summer. Or if I if I go into winter a little bit, it'll be you know pushing through snow and it'll be difficult going. So that's the only thing I got to figure out the timing of how I'm going to work that out. And, but the rest of it, um, you know, I, I know what I'm doing now. I, I got everything down pat after South America and Central America. I know what I'm doing. I know how to, you know, get water, how to find food, how to find a place to sleep in strange places. Um, so I'm not too concerned and the, the countries from here are relatively safe. So yeah, it should be, it should be good going and uh, looking forward to it. All right. Tell us how you do all of those things you just said, how you get yeah. water, how you find yeah. a place to sleep, how you get food. Yeah. So uh, water, I carry obviously a couple of water bottles. I have dromedary bags, which are just like six liter uh, impenetrable bags. So they don't puncture or anything. They're very durable. That varies country to country. Uh, it depends uh, say in Peru, for example, I would only buy bottled water. So I knew even when I was in the desert, I'd get to town, I would load up on water, get the bottled water. Um, in other places on longer stretches, maybe I have to filter water. Or in a developed place, like going through Italy, there's fountains everywhere. It's right, easy. that's easy. I was thinking like going through the desert, that would probably be the scariest, right? Yeah. Um, the good thing is I'm generally walking roads. Uh, it's, uh, sometimes I walk past, but they're usually not that long. Roads are the best way to move internationally. Uh, so even like Kazakhstan, we'll go through some very long stretches, uh, you know, maybe 200 kilometers, something like that, uh, without getting to a town. I should be able to bring uh, enough, It'll especially up there because it'll be colder. I won't be sweating. Um, I should be able to bring enough because I push a cart. I can load up and, uh, you know, make that last live on two liters of water a day, something like that. Yeah. Food wise. I mean, you're just carrying it all in the cart and everything, or are you, have you become, uh, an expert at scavenging or finding food along the way or what have you been doing? No, no, no. And yeah, no scavenging. I'm not like, uh, I'm not like shooting squirrels or anything. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's just dry goods, you know, load up on granola, pasta, peanut butter, rice, uh, whatever is available in the country that's dry that I can bring with me. Uh, and then when I get to town, then I just wolf down as much food as I can at a restaurant, uh, drink a bunch of milk for the protein, calories, the fat. Uh, but otherwise, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's just it's just uh, knowing how to knowing what works and what doesn't work to bring. And that's really just dry goods. And then when I get into town chow down and then as far as uh finding a place to sleep that is that's much more convoluted that's much more of a, a feeling that you have to work out uh, and each country again has a very different feel you get a feel for how far apart things are how much people are moving outside for example like uh, when i was going through morocco i was going through there when there were long days and people were outside until 8 30 9 o'clock so i had to wait until right before sunset basically to find a place or else someone would stumble upon me and that would be that so it's really a feeling on the country and knowing the terrain and where to look for a place to sleep and that's just something i've developed over three years of finding weird places to sleep yeah because fairly recently i think i read a 
post on your blog. It was something sleep related. I think you had a policeman with you somewhere or something. Was it Albania? I don't. I don't uh, Algeria. Where yeah. was it? Algeria. Algeria. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? I mean, tell us some stories, man. <laughs> you got to have a few. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty. Uh, Algeria was a crazy country. Uh, it's it's very closed off. Uh, they are insular. Uh, if you, it's very difficult to visa process. It's difficult to get a visa in, and they don't grant many of them. So I took a boat there from uh, Valencia, Spain. The border of Morocco and Algeria is closed, so you got to take a, a ferry down. And I get off the boat, and basically as soon as I get to, you know, I walk with just like not many, just some Algerians, and I get to the border control, and they see the American passport, and like right away. They call over the police, and from that point on, as soon as I got to the the, the passport check-in, uh, I had police with me through the entire length, 24-7, a police escort with me, the entire length of Algeria. Really? And it was a very good thing at first because I had, it was like, some of these guys spoke a little bit of English, and it, I could get local tips. I'd get into a town, and I'd say, you know, where can I eat here? And they'd take me to a place, and we'd have good food. Uh, and it was nice to have company. Would they, yeah, would you buy them dinner? Would they buy you dinner? How did that work? Uh, oh, just, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'd buy them dinner. Yeah, sure. I mean, it wasn't expensive. You yeah. know, you just sardines, some bread, and. Well, I mean, how many, uh, wait, yeah. how, how long was the walk through Algeria? That was 45 days. 45 days? They gave you a police escort the whole time? The whole time, man. And sometimes it was like, there was a point. Because they wanted to watch you or because they didn't think you were safe? They went through a really violent time with the Civil War uh, back in the day. And so the police has a really strong presence just everywhere. Even if I wasn't there, there's at, basically at every town, uh, at like the roundabout entering every town, there's a police checkpoint area. And this just is like through it is to make sure there's no extremism entering the country. There's no there's it's a very safe country. And it's was it before the military or is it because of the military? Um, but so. They already have a very strong police presence. But as far as why they were escorting me, I think it's just because, I don't know, I mean, they don't let a lot of tourists in. And I'm an American walking through there. They don't want any bad press. I would guess that's it. But it was an insane experience. There's times when I was walking, there's like literally like 12 guys. There's like three cars at points. And I'm just a guy pushing a cart with my dog. And I have like an SUV in front of me, two SUVs behind me. It was crazy. <laughs> And just going, going really slow because you're just walking, right? Like, yeah, just walking. And as soon so as, like, surreal. Someone, it was surreal, man. And as soon as someone would come and talk to me, like normally I'm in whatever country, and people when they're out walking, people want to come and talk to you and see how you're doing, whatever. You just run into people. But it was in Algeria, like someone came over to talk to me. All the police were out, like right away, interrogating this guy. What do you want with this American? Uh, so it was, it was a very different experience for sure. So in that way you got to hang out with locals and meet locals, but only police locals, right? Because you couldn't get yeah. near the other locals because the police would swarm them if you did. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that way it was, it was a little sterile in that way for sure. And also the other thing was they wouldn't let me camp, uh, just because I'd always say it's unsafe. You can't camp. So I had to get to a hotel every night and it really like war on me where especially the last like two weeks of Algeria, the hotels were far apart a lot. So usually it was like 30 miles and I was going through there when it was 10 hour days of sunlight and I would have to do 10 hours of walking. So I would literally walk 
sun up to sundown to get to this hotel so they could like you know, so that I could stop. So they were really long days, and by then I had been with these guys, and you just it's not that they're not good guys, but just being watched all the time yeah. it ends up driving you crazy. Right. And so sometimes you just want to sit and relax and just like chill and just be in my own thoughts. Instead, I have a police guy come over to me, ask how I'm doing. It's like, I did. You're a nice guy, but I just want to sit here and just be like an idiot and zone out for, I'm so low on blood sugar and tired. I just want to zone out and think nothing. But you have these guys who come and want to talk to you. It was, it was a really different challenge uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, like the police are, they were great. Just the presence of just always having eyes on you, it wears on you. Obviously, you didn't know this when you chose to walk through Algeria, right? I mean, you had no idea this was going to happen. Because you essentially picked your route, right? I mean, you're walking around the world, but there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, What drew you to that country? Yeah, so I I wanted to walk through some of Africa, but the big problem with walking Africa is need a lot of visas. If I wanted to walk from the north to south, I need so many visas. It would end up taking years just getting the visas for these countries. It's a huge continent. And so I, I wanted to do some of Africa. And basically the best way to do that was just do the north. I just do Morocco where I don't need a visa. I would only need to apply for Algeria. And I could do Tunisia without a visa. I would have loved to have gotten to Egypt. and like, But the problem is Libya is a total mess right now. Uh, lots of warring factions. So I'm not going to walk across Libya right now. So it was just those three countries and uh, Algeria was the biggest and in the middle. And that's how I wound up there. Wow. That's a crazy story, man. All right. So what are some other things that have happened along the way? That's a very open-ended question. And I know you could go a million directions with this, but yeah, I want to hear some tales from the road, man, because I know you got a few. Yeah. And I mean, there's been a bunch of, I've stayed, uh, stayed with locals in Morocco, uh, stayed with locals in Tunisia, some young people that showed me around Tunis, which is a beautiful white city that you just never really hear about. Um, I can't recommend Tunisia enough. It was beautiful country, super cheap, really friendly people and democratic, open-minded. Yeah. And then getting into Italy, you know, I'm sure you've been to Italy. Italy's like, just this beautiful country and it, it lives up to all the hype. Every every town is so filled with history. Everyone's so well dressed and it's easy going. I mean Europe's been a very different experience in a lot of ways than you know South America. South America is very wild and Europe's been pretty easy. So I'm I'm looking forward to moving along into some wilder countries. But I mean the greatest stories that have probably come out of you know Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia. I slept in some weird places met strange people what do you mean strange people in what way so i don't know for example in in algeria i get into this town one day and this is after this is probably like the longest day where i walk like maybe 36 miles in the state to end up in this town and i'm like delirious there's no hotel there but the police tell me we have a place that you can stay and it's like this big ordeal there's like 25 policemen in this like all working just to find me a place to stay and so i get in the <laughs> get in the van they take me up to this uh <laughs> take me up to this like i think it's going to be i don't know some government building or something like that or maybe like a they have a lot of youth hostels um and i thought maybe it was one of those it ends up being like this guy uh who uh like works on cars like up in the mountains and it's like this really kind of like 
it's it's like a sketchy place. I'm way up in the mountains, and they have a couple dogs who are kind of beaten up, but they're nice enough. And they have a they have a macaque monkeys there in Algeria, and they have a macaque monkey like tied up. And I'm like, this is like really bizarre. My head's kind of spinning right now. And but so I get put into into this garage, and there's a little back room, and I sleep on the sofa with this heater. And uh, the owner's sitting with me there. He doesn't speak any English, so. Like they bring me some food and I'm just sitting there like in silence, nodding and, and he's just sitting there in silence and and there's stains on the wall. It's concrete and I don't know where I'm at. I don't have internet connection, anything like that. And so I just really, you know, you have to put your trust in the police and they got me all this way. Yeah, it felt a little off, you know, and it was just it was it was just that I was so far away from everything and I was out of internet connection and it was yeah, it was a little off. It was a little rough, but I could tell him the guy that he was a nice guy. And so I was like, okay, that assuaged my fears, but everything else about the place, it was like, I couldn't lock the door and there's, you know, this big hole in the wall. So I put my cart in front of the door. It's like the guy could just easily just come through this hole in the wall. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just going to fall asleep and that's all you can do. Like I'm, there's nothing else I can do at this point. Fall asleep, hope for the best. Uh, and it was fine. And then nice guys. Yeah. There's, there's certain points where, you know, you just have to trust this logo and, and it's fine. Yeah. And, and it works out most time. I mean, for me, I think one of the most psychologically challenging things would be the finding the place to sleep outside at night, you know, night after night in countries all over the place. You're going through urban areas, suburban areas, like uh, outskirts of cities. You're just in so many different types of environments. And I mean, anybody listening to this, just take a walk around and look around and just figure out a place to sleep at night. It's not always <laughs> that straightforward, right? Well, yeah, you can find a place to sleep, but are you going to feel, are you going to get trouble? Are you going to feel comfortable? Are you going to be like scared the whole night that you can't sleep? I mean, how do you deal with all this? It's such a challenge every night, uh, most of the time that it's it's like a big it's kind of like a game and it's 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 oddly fun in a way because you really it's like this huge puzzle you have to figure out you have to find you're weighing all these different things the best is like in the desert it was great because you know no one's going to show up you just walk in the desert it's perfectly dark but then like you said there's other times walking through colombia or argentina where it's a little more populated and you don't know maybe how safe it is and you got to find a place to hide away but the thing is also about it is that when the sun's going down, you have a choice. You got to find somewhere. And some places are less than ideal. But generally, once it's dark and you're hidden away, you're good. I mean, it would take crazy odds for someone to stumble upon you unless you're on someone's land or something like that. If I'm somewhere, if I can find a little patch of woods or an abandoned house or something, tuck myself away in there, not use my headlamp, anything like that, the odds of someone stumbling upon me, who's going to be wandering around, you know, at night? through these forests or wherever it is, it's really just make it until dark and then it's probably good. Uh, so don't get caught during the, during abandoned the house sounds kind of scary. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I've done a lot of abandoned houses. And at first, uh, at first I remember like one of the first ones I stayed at was in Ecuador and I, I was just like, it was so hard to sleep and I slept right. Like there's a stairwell and you know, you sleep on the second floor, but the entire night you're thinking like someone's going to come in here for sure. But then all through Peru, uh, in Peru, they have this weird law where if you build a house on some land and you someone living in it for 10 years, then you just own that land. So what happens is these rich people build like, these little brick houses. They pay a homeless guy to live there for 10 years, and then they own the land. And so they're 
all along the desert, these abandoned houses, and I was sleeping in them all the time. And after a while, I was like, I would only look for them because after you know, like, even in these huge, there'd be like these developments of empty houses, and there'd be one guy living in this development, and you could find sleep on the outskirts of one of these houses, you'd be fine, or you'd be in the desert, and there'd be nothing around except this one little house. And they were great. You're out of the wind, and you have a little concrete you can cook on, and I, I started looking for those. Even though the sun's going down, you're like, all right, we can always find a way to tuck away. But can you? I mean, there must have been some nights where you're in urban areas. You're just like, all right, where am I actually? Where am I going to go? And then do you just get a place to stay? Or Yeah. Um, I mean, through Central and South America, I was really tight on money through the entire way. So it was extremely rare that I got a, a hotel or something like that, unless the country was really cheap. Um, now in Europe, it's especially through Italy, it was really difficult finding places to sleep, but you can generally find a campsite. Um, it's been more, it's been more of a mix in Europe between hotels and camping. Like I said, in the Americas, I was camping like probably 28 out of 30 nights. I was camping the entire time pretty much. And here, um, uh, with, uh, with Patreon, I'm able to get some more hotels when I need to, which is great. Um, kind of takes some of the adventure out of it, but it, it's it's good. It's a good thing. I think you've earned your adventure stripes, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's a big enough adventure. <laughs> uh, but all as like, I remember one in specific actually that I was thinking about going through Panama, and like looking back on it, it was an insane place to sleep. And actually, I've had, I've had a couple of these, but I was walking the Pan American, and I'm kind of like up in the mountains. And the road is pretty small there, so there's not a ton of cars. But I, everything, was, it was so steep on either side of the road, and it's kind of really thick, almost jungle. So there's nowhere I could get in and, like, find a place to sleep. And I just walked. And this happens a decent amount of time, but I just walk, and then it was dark, and there was no to sleep. And there was literally just, like, a patch of grass on the side of the road. So I just laid my – and it's kind of in this little ditch. I laid out my tarp and just – as I fell asleep right beside the road, it could have been so easy to find me. I'm right there, uh, but I just laid there, didn't turn the headlamp on. I'm kind of hidden, fall asleep, wake up before sunrise, and I'm gone. Okay. And the setup is just a tarp and a sleeping bag? Is that? Uh, that's what it is. In I was up in the mountains, so there's no mosquitoes or anything like that. And that was low profile because uh, if I had set up the tent, it would have been people would have seen me. And then I could use the tarp as well. You know, there's no rain, there's no bugs. But generally, yeah, I set up a, I set up the tent. Yeah. Do you set up the tarp when you have just the tarp set up, like the minimal setup? Do you just set up the tarp like a tent and sleep under it? Or how no, do you... I sleep on it. I sleep on the tent you, or on the tarp. You just lay the tarp on the ground and just sleep on it. Yeah. 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 Got it. It's nice. That's the best, man. That's the best, best sleeping. How did you get through the Darien Gap? Is that's the connection point between Panama and South America, right? But it's like a wooded area. Do you have to go around that, or how does that work? Yeah, I flew over it. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's been a handful of people who have crossed that. That's I think like a Carl serious Bushy. thing. You can't really yeah. just do that. Yeah, no, it's super it's like dangerous. There's no roads through it. There's narco traffickers through there. I mean, unless you're like that's an event. That's whole thing in itself and there's yeah that's uh i'm not i'm not, I'm not that big of an adventurer <laughs> no i was gonna say if you walk through that then that's just crazy talk <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i imagine you landed in ushuaia to the southern tip of 
South America and Argentina, right? It's a beautiful area down there. Um, how did you feel when you got there? When you hit the southern tip of South America, was it anticlimactic or were you just like fall on your knees? Oh my God, I did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're at the end of the world. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful area. And uh, to get down there, and then I took a, a, a ship to Antarctica. So I was able to plant my feet on Antarctica for a little bit. I mean, you're just going, especially when you're going down to Antarctica, you're on like an alien planet. There's no sign of humans, and it's just another world. But yeah, finishing the Americas was is monumental. And when I, even when I look back on it, even then, I was thinking like, you you just walked the. It's insane. You just walked from Philadelphia all the, you know down to Uruguay. It was insane. That's crazy. It's nuts, man. I, I mean, it's out of your front door, right? That's the thing yeah. that's even... I, I just love that idea. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Just the idea that you can leave your front door and go on some epic adventure like this. And you have done that. And it's it's so inspiring, man. You mentioned uh, Patreon. If you want to just drop any links here now, if people want to support your adventure, um, where can they do that? Yeah, it's just uh, the world walk across everything. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube. Way to grab that handle. That's easy, right? The World Walk. I mean, there it is. That says it all. Okay, so it says a lot that you've been to all these countries and you were really digging Italy. (laughs) What is it about Italy that's been so special in terms of traveling through on foot? Yeah, I mean, Italy's just... there's It's so dense in history. I've never been to a place where even the little villages... Uh, in Tuscany or in southern Italy or in, uh, in on Sicily, you know, every village is a beautiful church and beautiful little square. And it's just every square into this place is just it's just I mean, it's beautiful. It was easy walking comparatively. Uh, but Sicily, I was up in the mountains and then uh, from Rome to Florence across over the mountains a little bit. And it's a nice variety. You walk along the coast. Beautiful. Uh, the mountains are beautiful. It's just, and the people, there's great coffee. The food is great. They're all so well-dressed. It's just like, it's, it's. A, and there it's you a, are pushing your cart, having oh, showered yeah. in days. Yeah. <laughs> are you showering in rivers and stuff like that if you're outside for a while? Or do you just wait till you get hotel rooms and things like that? No, yeah, sure. I mean, if there's nice water, definitely jump in. And yeah, I mean, I do, when I obviously want to get to a hotel, I shower, but yeah, if it's nice a nice river or creek or something, it's hot. Yeah, for sure, jumping there. You must have learned a lot in terms of like how much you've packed on your cart and everything. Have you stripped down things pretty good? Yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly what I need. Uh, nothing of excess. I, I use everything. Uh, it's it's like a balance of... So, for example, say I carry some like Gorilla Tape with me. And I almost never use it, but it's the type of thing that... I don't want to be somewhere without. It's so useful when I do need it. So that's like a weight worth carrying. And so it's always, it's just weighing uh, also how vital this thing is uh, versus how much does it weigh versus how often am I going to use this thing. And I definitely have it pared down to everything I have is uh, either extremely important or I use it every day. What kind of reaction do you get when you tell people what you're doing like do you try to keep that on the dl when you're interacting with somebody or if they ask you'll tell them or do you let fly because you know it makes a good story it makes it makes it a lot easier to connect with people when you have a story like that right 
Yeah, generally I just, I'll say, you know, if I meet someone, I say, oh, I try and connect with them. Oh, I've been somewhere that's similar. I've been like, this is how Colombia was, or, you know, this is El Salvador. Because when I say uh, I'm around the world, it ends up just dominating the conversation. And I have this, I have to explain, they say, you're walking around the world. Is it you're walking? And he's like, you, well, how do you mean? And then it ends up just being the same conversation most of the time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm walking. I walk in a camp, and I walk in a camp, and I walk in a camp, and that's it. But I usually just, yeah, I let it kind of slip under the radar if I can and try and have a conversation with the local and learn more about them. How are you different from the guy who stepped out of his door in uh, Philly those years ago? I was at however many years it's been now. <laughs> yeah, it's 2015. Um, I thought I was somewhat worldly back then. And looking back, you're just such an idiot and didn't know anything <laughs> about the world. I mean, just in life, you know, you don't change like in one moment and like I'm a different person now. It's kind of this gradual thing. And I'm so much more, I've seen so much more. I've seen different cultures, different people, different foods. I've been through like such challenges and tests of, of will and physically that I'm just more worldly and more assured of where I am, where I stand in the world. And then the other thing I would say is uh, that came uh, out of walking itself. It was kind of a byproduct of just walking every day. So say, for example, uh, it's getting towards the end of the day. I'm still feeling good. Or there's uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm at a nice campsite right now and it's say it's six o'clock and the sun goes down to eight o'clock. So at six o'clock, I see this nice green field or something. Oh, this perfect campsite. At first I would keep walking. I try and just get as much miles as I can in and then call it a day and find somewhere to sleep. But after a while I started realizing like, I'm going to walk another hour. I'm going to walk three miles. Uh, this is a 25,000 mile walk. I can wait. I can hold save those three miles till tomorrow. And this has sort of affected everything in my life you know, with the photography where with my photography I don't really try to I don't have any angst over I, I like I need to become a better photographer it's just trust the process kind of thing take one good photograph and try and get a little better in that and do that every day and you get better and so it's taught me the, the way I think about it is you you can't walk around the world in a day as with any project so just take it one little piece at a time and then that's it. And be satisfied with your day. I walked 21 miles a day. I walked 18 miles. Okay, good job. Do it again. Do whatever you got to do tomorrow. The the pace of walking around the world has slowed you down in all of your other activities, right? Uh, it sounds like it's that's a nice zen place to be. Yeah, it got rid of. Um, I think uh, in Western culture, or just like. And there's a lot of competition, and so you feel like you're always behind when you're trying to do something creative and that you need to do something more. But you just got to control what you can control. Do a little bit, and it'll add up to something bigger. And I, I've come to apply that with basically everything. And so, yeah, removed a lot of angst. That's a big thing, I think. If you're able to shed that Western mindset, which we're brought up in, which is that idea of more is better or always wanting more needing more getting needing to get better like you said this sense of urgency and particularly I, I mean i can't speak for everybody and but i can relate to what you're saying totally being from the northeast and there is something with the hustle and bustle of the northeast but this is just generally in america and 
I don't want to speak for other Western cultures, I guess, because we grew up in the States, but it is, there is this very much this, what we just described, right? So to be able to shed that is a, is a total life perspective change. I mean, that completely changes your life, right? Like your approach to everything. Yeah, sure. I mean, like you said, uh, in especially in the Northeast, which is a very fast-paced area of the states, and it's built around these huge uh, metropolitan areas where there's a lot of competition, uh, you definitely have this expectation that you need to, uh, you know, fulfill these certain requirements. You need to have the bigger house. You need to have – you're in a lot of competition with basically every aspect of your life and your own show, and that kind of – the competition just forces you to think that if you're not there immediately, then you're just, you're no good and, and you're, you're, you know, or you need to get there faster and everything you do has to be a hundred percent. It has to be, you have to maximize. You listen to all these podcasts now, a lot of the podcasts, I listen to podcasts all day, but like this theme that you just hear about all the time is just like, here, here's how you can learn more efficiently and do this more efficiently and this will make you more productive. And this is right, right, right. It just like, <laughs> drives me freaking crazy. It's just, Take the photograph, do it, write a thousand words, do the podcast, and improve that one percent. Just a little, just by doing it, you're going to improve because you're going to be critical of yourself, and that's enough. And just chill out, do a little bit each day, and that's it. And if you get better, good. If not, whatever. I think you should write. A, I think you should start a podcast, and this is just that. It's just a five minute episode. Just we'll just take <laughs> that audio clip. We'll publish it. <laughs> there it is. Everybody, just chill out. You're going to do yeah. it better over time. Everybody freaking relax, okay? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Five-minute podcast. <laughs> when you came home, obviously, you started having the pain and everything like that, but was it strange to be back in the States, like sickness stuff aside? Uh, what was that like? Um, I remember when I, when I first went back after... Uh, I remember driving down our like main street in our town, and I grew up in like this nice little suburbs in South Jersey, I remember driving down the street and being like, this is utopia. Like, this place is so nice, and I did not appreciate it. I had sidewalks, everything's clean, trash cans, nice street lights, coffee shops. Like, I grew up in a utopia. You're really seeing it for the first time in a way. Yeah, yeah. You see how, and it's not to say, like, in Argentina or in, you know, in the mountains of Colombia where most people live uh, in a concrete house maybe with a tin roof, there's rebar on top. So when they have money, cause they can't get bank loans. So when they have money, they build a second story kind of thing. And they live in very small square footage. It's not that they're any more or less happy, but to see that and to see, uh, you know, the quality of things that we have in America and of infrastructure, uh, it's like you go back and like, I went to a great school and my town is very safe and it's super calm and, you know, it's just a nice place. And to go back there, like, you realize, man, I was I won, like, basically the lottery of where I could have been born and and the time and everything. So I was very appreciative of that. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, when I was sick, it was just I was I wasn't anywhere. I was just existing. Yeah. I mean, it must have been strange, too, to maybe run into some old friends and you just you've just had all these experiences and. It was it hard to relate in some way. I mean, you can't articulate everything you've been through. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you grow. I mean, and I think I grew more than most people do in two years. So I definitely felt 
separated from them in a certain way. It was nice to go back and just like hang out with them and relax and, you know, just be totally comfortable. And after being, when I'm on the road, I don't really have any deep connections with anyone. I meet people maybe for a day or two and it's nice, but to go back to my friends where I've known these guys for years, it was, it was great. I mean, I could, you know, joke with them and relax. We speak the same language and we have the same rhythm of humor. Uh, and that's nice. Uh, but then, you know, a, you know, a certain part of me is thinking, you know, I just, I'm a different person and I, I've seen different things and, and, uh, but I you know, that's not, nothing to hold against them. And, uh, it's just, we're slightly different people. And, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was more or less, it was just, it was good to see them because I needed some good, I needed to be able to joke with people and I needed to build some good conversation. You needed some good old fashioned, uh, Philadelphia ball busting, it sounded like. That's it. Right? <laughs> I'm glad to hear you haven't uh, lost your accent either, which is good. Um, <laughs> Do I have it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned seeing friends and missing friends. And uh, in the first podcast we recorded, because I listened to it before we chat today, and you talked about some of the things that you were having to sacrifice for the walk, right? You hadn't uh, seen your family since Georgia at the time. You had to give up a girl you were in love with. All the sacrifices you've made to to do this walk. How do you feel about the sacrifices now, four years later? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of almost forgotten about. Uh, this is just my life now. Uh, I think back then when it was a year ago, a year after I started, or a little over a year, it was still more, more poignant. It was still closer in the rearview mirror, all these things that kind of this big change in lifestyle, but now there's just my life. And when I look in the rearview mirror, it's just walking. <laughs> so uh, I, don't really, I don't really think about it. I mean, with the family, you definitely give away. The, the thing I think about more, especially I turned 30 uh, in, earlier in April, and you kind of get like nesting syndrome where you're like, I need to get a house and, and get my plot of land and, and have a wife and kids and something like that. And I think that was more challenging because it wasn't something that I like, it wasn't some person or some physical concrete thing that I gave up. It was more uh, like this, this lifestyle that I chose to push back. And uh, when I was really craving it, going to like, Spain and Morocco and Algeria for some reason, I was really having these like, I, I was just fantasizing all day of like the house I was going to build. It was this lifestyle that I can have. And it took me months to get past that and then just relax again and settle into the walking. That was the choice with this walking is that life is kind of, I think it's up to timing. And when I'm young and I don't have responsibilities, that's when I need to do this. And later I'll be able to get the house and the wife and everything else. This is the choice I made. And yeah, it's, it's uh, got to live with it. How are you enjoying the lifestyle of being on the road? I'm not comparing it to like the other lifestyle you could have, but just taking it for what it is. How are you enjoying it? It's like the greatest thing ever. It's amazing. I mean, I think even just the physical aspect, I'm using my body eight hours a day. And that's something I think we forget that where we came from evolutionary, you know, you're runners and we're hunters and we're always using our body. And it's just so good for you. It feels so good. When I'm on the road, besides this terrible illness, which was a free thing, I'm never sick. I don't get the sniffles. I never like get congested. I'm just, I feel good all the time. My brain is sharp. And when I get in my tent at night, I'm tired. I'm ready to sleep. And when I wake up, I got a full night's sleep. I feel good. There's a certain amount of 
regularity, which is nice. And uh, so I wake up, eat, walk, find a place to sleep. And so I do have my rhythms, but within my rhythm, every day is something different. And I meet a different person or have different food. So it's like the perfect balance of scheduling and, and control versus serendipity and being open to things happening. Hmm. Are you disconnected? Uh, you have, I mean, you're doing blogging, obviously. You have your computer with you. I'm guessing yep. you have a smartphone with you. Yep. All right. How much are you on those types of things? I mean, it sounds like you're listening to podcasts a lot of the day. Tell me about your relationship with technology while you travel. Yeah. Um, I've listened to podcasts pretty much all day. Uh, I mean, some, I'll go hours without listening to it and it's a little more meditative. Uh, but technology, it's crucial. I mean, my phone is the ultimate Swiss army knife and you know, so it's got the GPS in it. It's got a flashlight. It's got music. It's got podcast. Um, it's got weather. It's got everything in there. And so I bring external batteries with me to power it. I'm not like screen time on the screen all the time. Uh, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and it's just such a useful tool. I mean, there's no reason to go without it. Uh, in Peru, for example, going through the desert, like with, I didn't have any service. So I usually just left my phone off most of the time. And those are really meditative, quiet hours. And I'll probably have that again in Kazakhstan and Mongolia. Uh, but it's nice when I get into a hotel to be able to call my family and connect with them for a little bit and, uh, you know, have a conversation in English. And yeah, it's a crazy time we're living in, man. What do your parents think about this right now, now that you're so far into it? Oh, it's just life, you know? It's just life. You've just it's become. Just acclimated to it essentially yeah my mom was you know she was definitely more hesitant about me going before is her baby boy leaving on this big adventure uh my dad was like yeah go for whatever hey it sounds great uh but now it's just sounds great go walk around the world see ya <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're so nonchalant <laughs> um yeah it's just life now you know and and i know what i'm doing and I, i'm through the most dangerous countries so uh yeah, it's it's uh, just normal. Speaking of dangerous, did you experience any dangerous situations along the way so far? Or? Yeah, um, in Panama, uh, I got held up uh, at knife point in Panama City, um, but it ended up working out. It was you know it was fine, nothing would happen. I got kind of like backed into a shop. Another guy grabbed my backpack, which had all my important stuff in it. But amazingly. Like there happened to be police there and they grabbed the guy with my backpack right away. Uh, so I got, I got super lucky. Um, so that was fine. And then other than that, no, I mean, every once in a while, this is another thing, another way I grew, you know, when, when I'm growing up in the suburbs, I just, everyone's nice and the town is safe and I don't have any sort of sense for people and whether I should trust them or not in any sort of dire sense. But as I go and you meet people and you find some stranger people, some that you just don't trust. And when I'm on the road and I'm, it's just me. So I have to trust myself and I've gotten really good at, I remember in Argentina, yeah, it was Argentina, right, right after these salt flats, this guy was kind of following me, trying to talk to me for a while. And I just didn't have a good sense about him. And before I would have probably just like put up with him. But then I was just like, dude, I'm walking alone. Leave me the hell alone. I don't want, like, I don't want you to follow me kind of thing like this. And, and then just walked on. And so there's, there's definitely a growth where I just learned to like, I'm going to meet someone else down the road. And if you get a bad vibe some, from someone, I just cut it off onto the next thing. 
Well, there's definitely been nights. I mean, there's there's sketchy nights in, in Morocco, sleeping in weird places in these little valleys, and I'm just like trying to make as little noise and show as little light as possible. Uh, but you no, know, everything. There hasn't been anything besides like getting held at knife point in Panama City. Besides that, it's been smooth sailing. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to hear. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. you're getting your street smarts, I guess you would call that, right? Just kind oh, of absolutely. Yeah, they're honed. When the spidey sense is tingling, you just speaking up instead of kind of letting it happen. And that, that is something you have to learn. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs as well. And, you know, just not accustomed to being in any inner city environments when you're younger. And then you have to learn, okay, well, hey, I got to kind of suss things out sometimes and protect myself. And that means speaking up verbally or whatever. It can be, yeah, can be a tricky thing. You know, you also want to stay open and be able to meet people. But at the same time, you got to trust your instincts, right? Yeah. yeah. And you want to be raised to just be polite. You got to be polite to everyone. Just be polite. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. And and yeah, you don't want to be mean or anything, but like, if, you, if you don't get a good vibe from someone, that's okay. Just leave. You're going to meet someone else later. You, and, and that's like, that's the thing too. Yeah. You want to be open to things, but there's, you're going to meet plenty of people when you're traveling. You don't have to trust every single person. Right. Uh, how about uh, kindness of strangers? Because we talked about some of the dangerous stuff, but I'm sure you've had plenty of uh, of that. So you want to share a story or two, some some amazing serendipitous things or just really nice people that have helped you out along the way? I mean, in a general sense, it's just endless. I mean, I've been helped so many times on the road, people stopping to give me food. Um, I've been brought in in probably every country I pass through. Someone has given me a place to stay. On uh, the scale, on statistically, so much like uh, a million to one good bad things happening, and uh, I think people forget about that. When you see the news, it's very easy to blow up things in your head that it's, the world's a dangerous place. But people are just people everywhere. In Algeria, I mean, the the, the Muslim culture—they're really, really welcoming. They're extremely when you're in their home, they really go out of their way to make you feel welcome. And so, going through Algeria. I had I have a, a MasterCard debit card, and there was only like three cities or maybe four cities that had a bank where I could withdraw money from with MasterCard. And I didn't realize that. I had a bunch of money, cash coming in because I knew I needed cash. And then I was in – I was able to stay with some friends, friends of friends in their houses at the beginning. So I wasn't spending that much money. And I get to Algiers, which is the capital. There's an ATM there. I think, oh, I have money. I don't need it. I'm fine. And I didn't know at this point that the MasterCard was the only thing, the only way to, uh, I needed certain banks to withdraw money. And then, so I start walking again and I find myself, the police are saying, you need a hotel every night. I found myself going through my cash really quick and I found myself in a hotel without any money basically. And I, I text my, my friend of friend who's on the other side of the country. I'm like, Hey dude, uh, you know, I don't have any cash. Like, do you know options, ways to, you know, anything, anything I can do? And he's like, hold on one second. I'll, I'll have someone uh, drive some money out to you right now. So he, like, makes some calls. He knows a guy out there. And this guy drives, like, so far out of his way up into the mountains and just gives me basically essentially, like, $100 in Algerian DNR. And I'm like, oh, thank you much. I'll, like, I'll pay you. Like, give me email or something. I'll pay you back. He's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I take it. Really? And, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, it was so far out of the way, like, and this guy who I had no idea who this guy was, and he just drove out of the way, just give me some money, and said, hey, that's it. 
and I got in Algeria too. I got put up all the time in like youth hostels and stuff like that. I'd, I'd when there wasn't a hotel somewhere or even at hotels sometimes, I'd just be like, "Oh no, don't worry about it. It's safe for free. It's it's on us." And like more than any other place, I got like welcomed and and put put up places for free. How is the money situation holding up? I mean, I had the sickness and everything. I don't know if, know if that was the whole unexpected expense or if you had travel insurance. How is the whole money thing working out for you? Yeah, the, when I got sick, uh, it was, it, I mean, it brought me down. I had some like emergency exactly for this saved up, some emergency funds saved up, uh, but that depleted it all. Um, and then so I basically uh, got a couple jobs once I started getting healthier. I don't remember what I was doing. I was just doing like odd jobs for. A friend of a friend, like working on a house, just to get a little bit of cash. But I think I had my sponsor, and once I started up again, they started giving me payments. And they're not, it's not a ton. It was enough for South America, Central America. But with, like I said, with my Patreon now, I send people postcards. I send them uh, touch notes, which are like postcards that I can send from my phone, and they arrive in the mail to them. And so that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, so I'm good now. The Patreon helps a lot, and I, I, I'm not to say that I should have done it from the beginning, but I'm very glad I have it now because I can relax a little bit, and I'm good. I'm not, I'm not a wealthy man, but I, don't, I, I'm, I'm just walking and camping most of the time, so I can breathe. <laughs> That's great, and you got con- good companionship, I guess, with yourself, your podcast, and your dog, of course, which is uh, great to hear that Savannah is doing well. I mean, what it's pretty amazing that you've been able to get her into all these countries as well. I mean, it sounds like you've obviously done the legwork with the paperwork and everything like that, but has that been challenging at all, having a dog with you? It's not as challenging as you would think. The common question is when you're traveling, like first off, the paperwork. The paperwork, if you're going to Europe, it's a little difficult, uh, but when you're traveling overland, if you're flying somewhere, you need really need to have like the proper paperwork in order. But when you're traveling overland through Central America, or South America, generally you just need like a basic health certificate and the rabies vax. And so it's super, it's really easy. Half the countries didn't even acknowledge her. And then uh, the other thing is like the hotels. When you're in a developed country, you can always find a hotel that's pet friendly. And if you're not in a developed country where they don't like dogs generally, it's more street dogs. It's a mom and pop who own the hotel. So you can just convince them and you just say, look, I'm going to leave. I'll sleep somewhere else. She's a fine dog kind of thing. And, you know, they want your money. And so you just convince them and they let them in. And, yeah, those are the two big things. And I think uh, with hotels, it's just a matter of standing your grounds and just really just being ready to leave uh, if you need to. And with the with the transporting, it's just you got to put the time in. Uh, the longest I spent was a month to get Savannah into Europe. And then she's in and she has an EU passport and piece of cake now. Hmm. Does she uh, ever lose steam when you're walking before you do? Has she figured out she can ride on the cart yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> she doesn't know that. Don't tell her. <laughs> no, man, she's like, I finish the day and I sit down at the end of the day. I'm like exhausted. I'm like, I can't wait to eat. I just want to sit down and she grabs the stick and comes over, like wants to play. I'm like, we just walked 25 miles. And you still want to play. This is she's endless. Yeah, <laughs> she might be the first dog that walks around the world when you finish this. Actually, I think she will be. She's the first to do the Americas. I think she will be the first to do the world. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's been so great catching up with you. I, I mean, I could 
talk to you all day and get more stories and I would I would love to keep going but I want to respect your time as well and it will really be great to get you on again when you get to the states and you're coming towards the the final uh the final push or maybe you know at some point then so we we should we should definitely connect I don't know man I'd love to I could go visit my family maybe even be there when you cross the finish line man it would be great to meet sure. you in person yeah but we'll be following along and the website again, theworldwalk.com. And Tom, it's it's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. I do I sometimes I just be in the middle of my day and I'll be I'll just think about you and I'll be like, Man, I hope Tom's doing doing good out there and it sounds like you are and I'm so glad you're yeah, you're just recovered from all from all that and you know, sending you the best on the rest of your journey, my man. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's, it's always great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, did I leave anything out? Or no, that's it. That's good, man. Yeah, that's, that's uh, we covered a lot of grounds. All right, buddy. Well, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> good luck, that's man. The truth. That's we'll, the truth. We'll we'll chat soon. All right, sounds good. There you have it. Wow, right? Just incredible and. Well, I'll share some thoughts on this in a moment. I want to thank Tom really quickly for taking the time to come back on the podcast and give us his update. I really hope I can get there for the end of his trip somehow. I'd love to meet him in person and be there at the finish line when he walks back to his hometown after being gone for so long and being all over the world by foot. Just incredible. Before I share some thoughts on this interview, quickly want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. I mean, if you haven't checked out the Tortuga Backpacks yet, you've heard me ranting and raving about them over countless episodes. What are you waiting for? ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. I've curated the best backpacks and put them on that page for you. So you don't even have to dig through the website. You can check out some of those there. And you can also enter the promo code TRAVEL. If you order anything on Tortuga's website, just enter the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. You'll get 10% off anything you order. These packs are so well built. And I mean, one of the best things about it is you really maximize the space without having to check a bag. So if you're tired of paying checked baggage fees, if you're tired of having bags where the zippers break or you know water gets in them and it's a nightmare, they've got a bag for you that's going to work perfectly for your journey. I guarantee it. So... Check them out, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL just for being a Zero to Travel podcast listener. Don't waste your time with a bunch of research. I've got you covered. That's where to go. Thanks to them for supporting this podcast. And before I let you go, I just want to say, um, I want to hear your thoughts on this interview and adventures like this. When you talk to somebody that's walking around the world, it seems like... Well, I mean, it just seems so huge, and it is. It's a huge adventure, but when you actually get to talk one-on-one with somebody and hear what it's like on the ground, it just really brings it to life and makes it seem less daunting in some way because you know there's a human being out there, in this case, Tom, just taking it literally one step at a time, figuring out where to sleep one night at a time, figuring out how to sustain it in terms of income. And I mean, I'm just so glad he's healthy after that health scare and he's back out there on the road and just not stopping and so committed to this dream. It is so inspiring. And it's an incredible reminder of what a human being is capable of when they are committed. You can hear that Tom is just committed 
to this dream. There is no wavering. There is no doubt. He is walking around the world, and I have no doubt that he's going to finish it. And you could probably hear that from this interview. And I really encourage you to listen to the first interview we did together when he was uh, in Ecuador at the time. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But I think it's just a great reminder to sum this up that we are capable of so much. And also that the means by which we travel does impact our travel experience. So walking, biking, staying in hostels, using public transportation, renting a car. These are all going to change the travel experience. Neither for better or worse is just going to be different and something to keep in mind as you plan your trips or maybe mini adventures within your trip. You know, what are some things that you can do to kind of have some of these experiences? Maybe we want to get a little slice of Tom's life. Maybe we don't want to walk around the world, but maybe instead of taking the bus to this popular site I'm going to see, on this particular day, maybe I'm going to walk those four or five miles, see what that experience is like, walk in Tom's shoes a little bit and see what it's like to walk along a road where everybody else is driving or passing through. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's fun. You can experiment with travel. You can have fun with it. You can test things out and try different things out and see what the experience is like, see how it feels. We don't have to do these big grand adventures, but I love that people are out there doing them. And thank you to Tom for continuing to inspire me. And thank you to everybody listening to this show because you also inspire me and keep me going. Your emails, uh, your comments, the reviews you leave for the podcast. I've been doing this show for over five years now because of you. This is a community-powered show, and I want you to get in touch anytime. Let me know if you thought of this show. Let me know if you have any guests you want me to bring on. Let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover, any questions, if you just want to say hi, whatever. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. Please get in touch anytime. I really want this to be a two-way conversation as I wrap up this podcast today i'm about to close this laptop up for the night and head home but thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful rest of your day night morning whatever it is wherever you are make it a great one thanks again cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zero to travel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality 